All right, well, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. And I want to speak to you today on this anniversary Sunday on the idea that the fire is still burning, all right? You're going to understand what I'm talking about as we read this story. But uh, anniversary celebration Sunday is always a special Sunday at Redemption Hill. This is number eight for us, and I was excited about the enthusiasm when Pastor John announced that in the beginning of our service. Uh, but as you, as you think about uh, the significance of this day, probably most of you are not quite uh, you know, there yet in terms of how significant this is. Um, and you see, this was really declared and proclaimed by my five-year-old Jordan, uh, our little five-year-old girl, uh, who said, Daddy, tomorrow is a holiday because it's our anniversary at Redemption Hill Church, right? So, so you can just go ahead and change your calendars forever now uh, and moving forward. Uh, today is a, a national holiday uh, in our country whenever Redemption Hill throws a party, all right? So just, just so you know. Um, but, but we want to celebrate what God has done in the life of our church. And, and it's, it's tempting to kind of think about this in kind of a generic way, but we need to think about God doing specific things through specific people. Uh, in this people known as Redemption Hill. Some people, some people define a community, uh, a church family, as, as a place where you can know and be known, you can love and be loved, you can serve and be served, and you can celebrate and be celebrated. And I think when I, when I think about Redemption Hill Church, that's the kind of church that I think about, a place where all of those things are happening as we do life together, as we show up on Sundays, as we uh, are involved in one another's lives throughout the week. And so just to highlight a few of the many, many ways that we see God at work in our church family, uh, some things that I'm just excited about that I want to share with you that, that most of you are going to be kind of like nodding your head and like, yeah, I'm a part of that, and that's, what I, that's what's up, Pastor Tanner, yeah, I'm going I'm to just affirm what you're saying. Uh, but then maybe some of you are new and you're like, what's this church about? Uh, well, this would just give you a bit of a preview. You see, what I love about our church is that uh, we're not a church for one type of person. We're a church for all people. And so as you look around and you see uh, just the growing number of people that connect with Redemption Hill, it is not just a growing number of people, but it is a diverse people. And that's reflected even in our leadership. This past year, we named Steve Agbola, a Nigerian brother, uh, as one of our new pastors of Redemption Hill. And then maybe some of you missed some introductions, some key introductions, but we've added four women to our staff team just in the past really four months to go with two others that were already on our staff. And so we love the, the growing diversity in the life of our church. I love how people are going relationally deeper with one another. We have historic numbers in our groups throughout the week. And, and if, if you haven't jumped in yet, you can make that historic number go even higher this week, all right? So, so jump into a group. People are serving in sacrificial ways. I mean, there's a commitment to, to, to serve one another. We have so many what Jesus would call two-mile people in this church, people that, that go above and beyond for the good of other people. I love being a part of our church. We could celebrate the increased use of our community center in Medford Square, we could celebrate the other churches and uh, missionaries that we support all over the world. We definitely should celebrate the fact that 20 people have said yes to Jesus, a new relationship with Jesus just thus far in 2019. Amazing. Amazing. You can clap for that. Come on, people. It's a celebration Sunday. Thank you. 
And so, and so as I think about, as I think about uh, our church, you know, one of the, one of the I think a great uh, leadership, you know, just kind of thought experiment is like wh- what we're building here. And when I say we, I mean we, right? It's not about one pastor or a group of pastors. It's about all of us working together. Um, as we think about leading this mission together, I think about is this the kind of church that I want my kids, kids to be a part of? And it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And yet, as we think about all of the great things that God is doing in the life of our church, I got to tell you, we've only just begun. And so I want to take you to a story that I believe will be catalytic for the type of this group of people, this church that we want to be in the years to come. And it comes from Exodus chapter 3. from the Old Testament. So second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to have the words on the screen so you can follow along. And what you need to know in this story, okay, is that the, the people of, of Israel, God chose this man Abraham to, to, to be an agent of blessing by which God would bless the world. And uh, Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had 12 sons who became the, the, the nation of Israel. Um, but, but it was... Uh, in a difficult time when there was famine in the land that one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, was forced into Egypt. Um, he was actually sold by his brothers. Crazy story at the end of the book of Genesis where uh, he was sold into slavery by his brothers and uh, he actually rose to be the, the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And so... Uh, Long story short, his other brothers came and the the people of Israel started to grow and they multiplied. They were having a bunch of babies, all right? And and then they they grew to the point where the Egyptians were saying, you know what? Uh, They might become a little too powerful. They might might start to have a little too much influence. They might join with our enemies and, and turn on us. So out of fear, and this is usually how oppression and injustice works, out of fear, they started to oppress the Israelites. They started to enslave them. And it was in this time that the people cried out, and God raises up this man named Moses to be a leader for his people. And so this is where we pick up in the story in Exodus chapter 3. This is what the first six verses say. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray 
one more time. Father, we ask that in these moments, we would come to more than words on a page. We would come to your very heart and hear your very voice through the words of your book. And so, God, would you make us receptive now? As we see Moses receptive here, God, would you make us receptive now to hear your voice and to move as you lead us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I want to I talk to you today about this idea that the fire is still burning. All right? The fire is still burning. And we, we see this in the story in three different ways. Okay, Number one, the fire is still burning because God's voice is still speaking. All right? The fire is still burning because God's voice is still speaking. What do we, what do we learn about God's voice here in this story, this encounter that God, that God has with Moses? Okay, Number one, God has some very creative ways by which he can grab our attention. All right? I mean, can you just picture this? All right? We see that Moses is a shepherd. All right? Not, not a super popular job. It was looked down by the other nations. Okay? We even see this at the end of Genesis. They didn't think too highly of shepherds. Shepherds were very, 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 very blue collar, worked with stinky, smelly sheep. All right? And so Moses is just with his sheep, and he's rolling up to Mount Horeb, and he sees this bush that's on fire. But the strange thing about the bush is that the bush continues to be on fire. So much so that the fire is unquenchable. So he just, he's amazed, he's mystified. And so he walks over just to see like what's going on. Is there like oil behind the bush? I don't know what was going through his mind, but he's peering at the bush, he's, he's staring. And then out of nowhere, he hears his own name called twice. And, and just like, put yourself in Moses' shoes, right? Like if, if, if I were Moses, it would probably take not two, but 22 times, you know? And just like, what is going on here? The bush is burning. Now the bush is talking to me. Like, what is going on? And yet Moses must have sensed that there was something more, or maybe just out of fear. He says, here I am, you know, like, what? Well, here I But not only does God speak to us in creative ways, but I love this about God, God when God speaks, he speaks very personally. He says, Moses, Moses, God is a God who knows your name. He knows your name. He cares about you. Like, this is the, the mind-blowing reality of God, okay? God is infinitely, okay, that's like, there's no end to, to how infinitely transcendent God is. When we talk about God's transcendent, we're saying he's over everything. He's over and above everything. So he's infinitely transcendent on the one hand, but he's also infinitely intimate on the other hand. God is closer than our fingertips. He's closer than our fingertips. If you, if you know God and Christ is in you, that's so true for you that God is closer. He's, he's near. He's everywhere present. And what might boggle the mind even more is this. Not only is God a personal God and he knows your name, but God gives very specific assignments to each and every one of us. Now, now you say, like, Tanner, help me out here. Like, what might this look like? And I want to help you today. 
But, but on the one hand, we are all called to live out God's directives as he's given them to us in the words of the Bible through Jesus Christ. And all of these hundreds of directives and instructions can be summed up. This is really nice of God to do this for us, right? Is summed up in two, two kind of directions or commands, right? To what? Love God with everything you are and love the person next to you like you love yourself. So like all of, all of God's directives, all of God's instructions can be summed up in those two commands. And yet, God gives specific assignments to each one of us because though there's a unity to the mission that he's given us, there's also diversity in how he uses each unique person to fulfill his unique work through them. Amazing, amazing stuff we see Moses' specific assignment here in verse 10. Let me read it for you. God continues and he talks to Moses and he says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Wow. What an assignment that God had for Moses. And I want to ask you today, like, are you, are you living with a sense of divine assignment from God? God's made you special and unique. He shaped you in a particular kind of way. He's given you passions and desires to live out his mission right where he's placed you. And so we can live with this, with this uh, divine sense of assignment in the day-to-day of every day. Life. Now you say, well, Tanner, help me out. I want to hear God's voice. I want to like, you know, I want to have my own burning bush experience or I want another, like I want to hear God's voice very specifically. Again, how does this happen? And there's no formula to it. I wish I could say, you know, like show up, God speaks at 443, you know, just make sure you're tuned in at 443. You'll be good to go. You'll hear from God. I mean, that would just be too, that would be too easy, right? That wouldn't actually require much faith on our part. That wouldn't require much trust of a good God. And so let me give you a couple of encouragements in this, okay? Number one, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes and your ears open. Listen, God, this is so important, okay? We, we love the Bible here. We believe this is God's book. God gave it to us. This is his truth, okay? So God would never lead us in a way that, that contradicts his, what he said right here in his, in, in his word, the Bible. All right? So, so he's always going to lead us in a, in a way that's consistent what, with what he's already said about himself and our world and us. And yet, listen, it's not just in the, the moments when we're reading the Bible or maybe, you know, we're, it's, it's the eighth anniversary Sunday celebration, man. The band's sounding good. We're worshiping. We're singing praise to God. We're praying, you know. And it's like sometimes we, we, we put God in a box and we think like, well, God's only going to speak to me in moments like this. But just consider the story. Maybe, maybe God wants to do for you what he did for Moses. He met Moses in the ordinary, everyday moments of his life. And so maybe God wants to speak to you tomorrow when you're hammering a nail. Or when you're clicking save on that spreadsheet. Or when you're teaching a five-year-old how to say the letter Q. Q is a tough one, by the way. I mean, just try, just try to say Q. It's just it's a big job. It's the everyday moments of life that, I mean, God, because God is there. 
God, God cares for us. He's watching over us. And so don't limit how God might show up and lead you and speak to you and give you that little nudge by his Holy Spirit to grab your attention and to push you into something fresh, something new, or remind you of something that he's already told you. So number one, keep your, your eyes and ears open. But then number two, please be ready to respond. Be ready to respond. I love what we see here in the story of Moses. Did you see that the bush was burning, but when did God speak? God spoke when Moses moved. Did you see that? So the, the bush is on fire. It's unquenchable. It's still, and so when Moses moves over, now God speaks. And when God speaks, Moses is responsive. Here I am. And then not only that, and this is where it gets very, maybe intensely personal and even possibly difficult. Because, because here's the reality, okay? Here's the reality. Don't miss this. Everyone wants a moment with God. Everyone wants a burning bush moment with God. But how many of us want to take off our shoes? What does God say? Verse 5, don't come near. Like, just stop right there. Don't come any further. Why? Because the place where you're standing is holy ground. God is transcendent. He is in, 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 uh, intimate, but he is also holy. In other words, he wants us to reflect his good heart, his holy heart. And so if you're, if you're not ready to maybe lay down some things in your life to truly represent God and reflect God in your life, then maybe you're not ready to hear his assignment for you. God loves a humble heart. He loves it when, when we just are ready to receive from him because we're walking with him. We've shown that we're trustworthy people, right? What did Jesus say in the Gospels? If you're faithful with the little, we'll entrust more to you. And so the bush is still burning. It's amazing that God uses people like us because God's voice is still speaking. But then number two, God's voice is still speaking because God's heart is still breaking. God's voice is still speaking because God's heart is still breaking. You want to pick up in verse 7 here. You can follow along with me. Then the Lord said this. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God's heart is still breaking over what he sees in our lives and in our lives. 
world. Listen, we, we never, I love this, we never have to wonder if God has his eye on us. He cares. He's, he's a really, really good father. And in fact, he's not a good father. He is the father that none of us have ever had. Ever. No, no, no matter how good your father is or mother, like, why? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. And so he has his eye on you. He has his eye on us. And he's watching. And when he sees uh, all of the injustice in our world and the wrong that we experience in this life, his heart breaks. You say, well, how does this work for God and how might it work for us? It's very simple. We need to understand the gap. All right, let me teach you this. You need to understand the gap. You see... Your heartbreaking starts with what your eyes are seeing. All right, it starts with vision. So, so that's why we keep talking about fighting for vision. We have to fight for vision. We have to get our eyes on God. And, and then as our eyes get on God and our heart becomes like his heart, then we see the world around us like he sees it. It's amazing. That's not like preacher talk. That's not like just for Pastor Tanner and Moses. Not that I'm comparing myself to Moses at all right now, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's for everyone. If you can see, spiritually see, then you can see God. And if you can see God and see his heart, then you can see like he sees. So what does he see? Well, well God sees the way things are. He sees the sin and the brokenness of our world. He sees hurting people. And he sees hurting people hurting people. But that's not all he sees. He not only sees the way things are, but he also sees better than anyone the way things are supposed to be. The Bible talks about this in the Hebrew word shalom. All right, now you know a Hebrew word. I'm not trying to show off. I'm trying to be helpful. The, the Hebrew word shalom means peace. And it's not peace in like what you think of peace. You think of peace as like the absence of conflict. Like we're not at war. I don't have friction with this person. Okay, that's, that's part of what peace means. But in the Bible, it's so much more than that. God's vision for shalom, his vision of peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it is the complete flourishing and thriving of every sphere of life. The relationships between God and man, man and, and man and woman, and, and people and creation, all experiencing what we would want in our world, like what we long for deep down, harmony, wholeness. This is what God sees. And so what happens? What happens? When God sees the way things are and the gap between the way things ought to be, it breaks his heart. Go read Luke chapter 19, starting in about verse 41, and you'll see Jesus absolutely weeping, weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And he uses these words. He says, oh, that you would have known what have, what have made for your peace. So when we see what God sees... When we see the, the brokenness in, in our own lives and the lives around us as well as what God wants, that's when our heart will start to break. 
That's when we'll actually move and do something about it because that's the good news of Christianity. Only Christianity has a God who comes to us. Only Christianity has a God who would suffer in our place. Oh, I'm about to preach today. Come on, is everybody ready? I mean, Jesus Christ enters time and space, takes on our flesh. He got tired. He had to take a nap. He, he, he died in our place. That's how much it crushed him. Not just to reconcile man and God, where we had friction between us and God, but he also died to bring everything back into complete order, harmony, and flourishing, that vision of shalom. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. He died to unite all things in heaven and on earth to himself, thus making what? Peace through his bloodshed on the cross. And so God sees our pain, but God also hears our prayers. I, I love what it says in verse 7. Look back at verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction. He's seen the affliction of my people who are in e Egypt, and he has also heard their cry because of their taskmasters and their sufferings. And so as we think about uh, the, the, the bush burning, listen, the bush, the bush burns when people pray. We could, we could go back and look at the end of Exodus chapter 2. Listen to this. It says, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry, their prayer for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. God knew. It's saying God's about to do something about But God wants to hear from us. He wants to know what breaks your heart. He wants, he wants, he actually, listen to this, are you ready for this? He actually wants us to come together and pray together with one unified voice and say, God, it is not okay that there is sex trafficking in our neighborhoods. It's not okay. It's not okay that families are still going hungry in our community. It's not okay. It's not okay that people don't know the way to have a relationship with you. It's not okay. And so we cry out to God. What is prayer? Prayer is saying, God, there are some things going on here that are beyond us, you know? And so we need your resources, not our resources. And you need, we need you to move us to do something about all of this. This is why this Friday we're going to start a new rhythm in our church, all right? We're going to call you ready for this? We're going to call it Fire Nights. That's right, Fire Nights. The bush is still burning. The fire is still burning. I told you I was extra fired up. I actually gave some people a heads up. It says anniversary. I'm a little extra fired up, so just, you know, bear with me today. Um, the first Friday of every month, we're going to get together at our community center, and I hope that we, like, outgrow the space. You know what I'm saying? Like, why not? And at 8 p.m., we're just going to start praying, and we're going to pray for the things that are on the heart of God. God sees our pain. He hears our prayer, and God delivers us out of our trouble. This is what he says in verses 8 and 9. I've come down to deliver them 
out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of that land to a good and a broad land, to the promised land. You see, the book of Exodus is a, is a story of redemption. We named our church Redemption Hell because we understand that we as people still need redemption. And what's amazing is that God invites us to partner with him in the business that he's called us to so that our work joins in with his work. And so when we partner with great ministries and organizations like Amira or when we feed 150 uh, families next month for Thanksgiving uh, or we partner in with the first mobile food market last month in Medford. And when we keep serving with Medford Youth Center and Medford Housing Authority and the city of Medford, cleaning up and beautifying literally dozens of parks. We're, we're probably about to the, the, the 50 number in terms of the times that we've invested in parks over the last eight to nine years. It's amazing. We do all this because this is God's heart. Not, not just to see some pain, not just to like pray for the, the pain, but to like enter into the pain, to enter in and to do something about it, to get out our wallet and to give to a great cause. And so God's voice is still speaking. God's heart is still breaking, and I just, I love this last one. God's hand is still moving. God's, God's hand still moves. Look at, look at what it says here. In verse 18. They will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with the wonders that I will do in it. After this, he will let you go. God still shows up. God still delivers. God's hand still moves. Like like he's really interested in accomplishing his mission in our world. But but there are a couple of factors that that come against us as we seek to to be a part of this movement and to watch God's hand still moving, okay? Two, two, Two factors of opposition, all right? Number one, there is opposition from the outside. We just saw this. The the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he's not going to like this one bit. So he's not going to let you go. There will be opposition. Listen to this. This is is just a a truism in life. No matter if you like think I'm crazy talking about God and Jesus today. Anytime you do a great work, you can expect opposition. It's just the way it it is. You give your life to something great, then the critics and the naysayers and the people that think they can do it better than you and the trolls are going to show up on social media, right? And it's like, why? Because you are doing a great work. So opposition will come. But, but, but God is with us, right? He, he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going I'm to show up. I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to do signs and wonders like they have never seen before. And I'm going to lead you out. But it's not just, listen, it's not just opposition from the 
outside, it's hesitation from the inside. Hesitation from the inside. This is what we see in verse 11. Listen to this. Uh, like you might think like Moses, show, like God shows up to Moses in a burning bush, and man, he's going to be like Tom Brady running out of the tunnel at Gillette. You know, let's go. We'll drop the adjective. You know, let's go. But what does Moses do? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Let me, let me just tell you what's going on here. Moses is saying to God, I don't have the experience. I don't have the credentials. I don't have what it takes. Why are you asking me to do this? And what does God say? Verse 12, but I will be with you. And then even again in verse 13 after that, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to him? I mean, we can almost feel the tension in Moses' heart. It's like, uh, God, you know, like, uh, hypothetically speaking, like, what if they don't believe me? Like, who should I tell them is sending me for this great mission? And I think Moses has what most every leader experiences in, in life. Hopefully there's humility because humility is prerequisite for leadership. If you don't have a sober-minded view of yourself, if you're not self-aware, if you realize that, hey, you don't have it all together, you aren't perfect, that you don't have everything of what it takes, that you don't depend on people around you and most certainly hopefully depend on God to help you, then you're not fit to lead anyone. But it's not just humility we see in Moses, we also see insecurity. He's questioning himself. Do, do I have what it takes? How am I going to do this? But what we see is that security is found in the presence of God. Like you just, you just live your life before God day by day by day. That will fortify your heart. That will give you the requisite confidence to step out and to do what he's called you to do. And why is that? Because God, his hand is still moving because he is still God. Look, look, at, look at verse 14. God has an answer for his question. Hey, what's your name? He says this. I am who I am. I am who I am. He's like, what does that mean? For God to say, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, is for God to say that I alone am self-existent and self-dependent. I am the creator of everything. Only I have no needs in this world. I am before all things, and I will be after everything. That's who God is. This is where we get the divine name of God, Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, Y-W-H-W. Okay, this, it's, it's used 6,500 times in the Old Testament. This is the, this is the place. Moses needs to know that, that God is God. 
that when God shows up, things get done. That he has everything that he needs to stand before the king of Egypt who could absolutely wipe him out. Because God is with him. And God is with us. You see, Jesus in the Gospel of John would say on seven different occasions, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And just to top it off, in chapter 8, verse 58, he says, before Abraham was, that dude that is the father of all of you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus shows up and he says, I am God. He does what only God could do. God, only God could rescue us out of our deepest trouble. And he wants to rescue you today. And he wants to take you to a new place in your life with a divine assignment to, to carry out his greater vision for our world. And so what I want to know is this. Is have you received his fire? Is the presence of God dwelling in your heart? Because listen, this is what it says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist was talking about Jesus, and he says this, Jesus will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. We have the very fire of God dwelling within us because Jesus has sent his very presence in the form of the Holy Spirit to live inside of every person who follows him. And so this is just why I get so fired up about the potential of the people known as Redemption Hill Church. And this is why I get so, like, just, I don't even know the word to use. Maybe I shouldn't even use a word, like annoyed or discouraged or um, maybe sometimes, just forgive me, impatient. When people underestimate themselves, because to underestimate yourself is in reality to underestimate God. If God has given you himself, then there is no limit to how he can work through you. But listen, be encouraged. I've never been more optimistic with where we are as a church. Why is that? Because I believe and I should have a decent vantage point on this, that we have more people in our church right now who believe God's voice still speaks, God's heart still breaks, and God's hand still moves. And I'm seeing a lot with the younger generation in our church. I'm talking about 20s and 30s, all right? I'm still in that group. What's up? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, but not just them. Not just them. I think this, this uh, person is north of 30s. 
I don't know how old, I don't care. Pretty sure north of 30s. Um, I get this email on November 5th, 2018. Hi, I think you know who we are. We met at church recently. We've really been enjoying the church. The past few weeks have been particularly inspiring for me, and I want to share a couple of impressions I've had recently. Last week, I recently uh, felt in my spirit that we need to pray for those who have given up. That would be things or people in our lives, loved ones that either don't have faith or strength to pray for themselves. Hey, fire nights, what's up? And then this, listen to this. And yesterday, I felt like I heard we need to be burning bush Christians. I feel like RHC is very strong biblically, but also the presence of the Holy Spirit is strong. Those two things can be hard to find in a church in New England. Anyway, I figured this wouldn't be too weird to send. You seem pretty open. (laughs) The fire of God is still burning. Is it burning in you? Let's pray together. Father, sometimes you ask us to take off our shoes and to just sit and listen. And so, God, I don't know how your Holy Spirit, your very presence has been speaking to us even in these moments. But, God, I know because you are still the same God that you are still calling and assigning and empowering your people for a great work. And so, God, would you show us more of who you are? Would you send us out to be the people that are representing you and your vision for our world to make a difference, to help the brokenhearted and the hurting people around us, and to do that even for one another? So, God, would you continue to move in our midst? Would you make us a fiery church with your very presence. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.